Hey, this is Steve Humble with another Humble Perspective for September 24th, 2022. I'm experimenting a little bit with the recording sound. I hope this one comes across clearer. It's a wonderful day here, celebrating my oldest grandson's 22nd birthday. So, happy birthday, Elijah. This humble perspective is another of the horse stories. I titled it Unbridled. As the end of my senior year of high school drew near, Dad decided to resign from his job, which meant moving away from the house where there was land to keep our horse Dandy. Therefore, Dad sold Dandy and the buggy to his brother, my Uncle Tracy, a few months before the move. I did, however, get to have another horse for a few weeks before our move. Dad's brother Henry had also bought a horse, a high-spirited bay mare, beautifully conformed with a rich brown coat. I can't remember the mare's name, but I do remember vividly the wonderful smooth gaits she had. However, she might have been mistreated by someone because she would not tolerate a bridle that had a bit for her mouth. Rather, she would only allow a type of bridle called a hackamore. A hackamore has a nose piece designed to put a bit of pressure on the side of the nose when the rider lays one of the reins against the horse's neck. That small pressure on one side of the nose along with the rein on that side of the neck instructs the horse to turn in the direction away from the pressure. And aside. In my opinion, whether one uses a bridle with a bit or a hackamore, any horse trained neck rein is more pleasurable to ride. Rather than use the rein to pull the horse's head in the direction the rider wants to turn, a horse trained neck rein will turn in the direction opposite of the side of the neck on which the rein is laid. Uncle Henry's mare was one-eighth quarter horse and seven-eighths thoroughbred, the latter accounting for her high spirits, I think. She was a bit too spirited, as it turned out. One time when Uncle Henry was away from his farm, some of the young fellows who worked for him decided they would teach the mare to rear up like Silver did for the Lone Ranger in the television shows. They got the mare to rear all right every time a rider mounted her. After that, no one on my uncle's farm was able to ride her. On a trip to see his brother, Dad got on the mare. She reared right up and went clear over backwards, tossing Dad into a fence. Middle-aged by then, Dad was wise enough not to try again. Instead, he suggested Uncle Henry bring the horse to our house, saying, Steve will ride her to settle her down and stop her rearing up, then we'll take her to the local horse sale and sell, sell her for you. Perhaps that mare learned something when she went over backwards. At least she never did rear that high with me on her back. And after a few rides, I got her to stop rearing up at all. Now, I've never had riding lessons, much less been instructed in how to train a horse. I simply did what naturally came to me. Every time the mare started to rear up, I would lean forward and give her a karate chop on the neck. I don't recommend that method, but it worked with her in a way. Although the mare didn't rear anymore, she discovered a new way to resist being ridden. 
When I would go down to the field to ride her, she would avoid me by moving away every time I got close. Once, when I had nearly cornered her while trying to get close enough to put the hackamore on her head, she spun around, jumped a barbed wire fence, and ran away. Thankfully, some nearby farmers found her and recognized her. By that time, she was about a mile away from the fence she had jumped, and she was near a busy highway. I learned to go calmly into the field where she was pastured and to go straight into the shed on the side where we kept grain, hay, and tack. I acted as if I had no interest in her, but once in the shed, I would noisily put grain in her feed box. Soon she would enter the stall to get to the grain. While she was busy eating, I would slip out the one door and move around the shed to shut the door into her stall. Once confined, she would allow me to saddle her, and we had some good rides over the next few weeks. When the time for the monthly sale came around, Dad had me ride the mare the two miles to the fairgrounds where the sale took place. Thankfully, she behaved well, even though most of the journey was along the side of busy U.S. Route 22. At the fairgrounds, I rode her up to the barn where the horses waiting to be sold were kept waiting. Immediately, that beautiful horse attracted attention. By the time I had her in a stall and was unsaddling her, a man was already dickering with Dad to buy her. Dad said clearly, you need to know she's a man's horse, which is horse trader talk, meaning this one needs an experienced rider. Then Dad, always brave on my account, had me bring her outside the barn and mount her bareback. I was a bit concerned riding that high-spirited horse with no saddle in the midst of a noisy crowd, but the mare could not have been more well-behaved. The man offered more than Uncle Henry had paid for her, and Dad sold her right then before even signing her in to be sold at auction. Later that night, Dad was in the crowd when the new owner rode my uncle's mare into the sale ring with no saddle and only a rope halter. He lied to the crowd, saying that he'd had the horse since she was a colt and that any kid could ride her. Although the bidding went higher than he had paid, the man refused to sell. He paid the auction fee himself, took the mare home that night. I've always wondered, rather smugly I must admit, what happened after that lying new owner let that mare loose in the pasture and then tried to catch her. Over the next 15 years, I had few opportunities to ride. Most of the rides I did take were stolen. That is, I didn't have the owner's permission. If for whatever reason, I was in a field where there was a horse that would allow me to approach closely enough to grab its mane, I usually would jump on its back and get at least a short ride. Once in Maryland at Grandma Geiger's place, I saw that she had allowed someone to pasture a few sturdy looking horses with bright white and brown paint coats in the field beyond her backyard. As soon as I could, I headed for that field. The horses had obviously been handled because as I approached them slowly, speaking softly to them, they allowed me to walk right up to them and stroke them. I took hold of one mare's mane and jumped up on her back. The horse didn't buck or rear up. She simply headed for the nearest fence and tried to scrape my leg against it to brush me off. I slid off the opposite side. Back at the house, I told Dad what I'd done. He found a strand of baler twine and we returned to the horses. 
Dad formed a makeshift rope halter from the twine and slipped it over the horse's head. I mounted again and had a great little ride. Sometime later, Grandma found out from the owner that those horses had never been ridden. However, they were used to being handled and harnessed to pull a buggy or a wagon. Another time, while living in Minnesota, one Labor Day weekend, my wife Patricia and I were on a retreat with young people from the church we served. The retreat was held at a summer camp for youth, and during the camp season, there was a riding stable with horses for trail riding, but by Labor Day, most of the horses had already been taken away for the winter. However, while taking a walk through the woods, Patricia and I came across one horse near a small stable. I slipped under a strand of electrified barbed wire fence and approached the horse, but it shied away. Near the stable, I found some oats had been spilled on the ground, so I picked up a handful and I began enticing the horse to come to me. He did. And I jumped on his back with no saddle or bridle, of course. In no uncertain terms, Patricia, from the opposite side of the fence, let me know that she thought I was being foolish. In response, I began to show off my riding skill. With my heels, I nudged the horse into a canter and he headed up a path through the trees, while back near the stable, Patricia continued protesting. All went well for a short time. The horse knew something that I didn't know or even stopped to think about. I failed to notice that we were approaching a place where that electric fence crossed the path we were on. Just before we got to it, the horse stiffened all four legs and came to an abrupt stop. I didn't stop. I flew over that horse's head and right over the barbed wire to land belly down on the ground beyond the fence. Patricia cried out, thinking I'd been hurt. But then, after I'd stood up, she really let me know how unhappy she was and how foolish I was. No, I wasn't hurt, except for my pride. The object lesson should have been the one expressed in the old proverb, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18, New King James Version. But although my pride in my writing skill did take a blow, I didn't learn that lesson, as far as horses go anyway. Through the years, however, as I recall that incident and others in which I tried to ride unbridled horses, I've thought about the word God has given us through the psalmist. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Psalm 32, 8 and 9, New King James Version. God is not speaking about us being in unbridled in the sense of Kentucky's slogan, unbridled spirit which at best refers to limitless human possibilities and at worst to some sort of unlimited freedom to do whatever an individual wants. Rather, God is saying that we can live in such an intimate relationship with him that the very look in his eye will direct us. May God graciously give me, and you also, a teachable heart and mind along with such sensitivity to his Holy Spirit that a glance from his eye will draw us toward him and guide us in his way.